the Russick Outlook. As always, just my opinion. Hello, this is Mark Russick, and you're listening to the Russick Outlook. Today's topic is, can you show me the evidence for human evolution? A pretty lofty subject, I would say. This is actually part two of uh, of what I started in comparison to, we looked at the first part, can you show me the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And part two is, can you show me the evidence for human evolution? And the reason I, I wanted to lay it out like this is because there's such a stark contrast between the two, but yet these are two highly uh, accepted um, beliefs uh, and you know, from a scientific standpoint, and I'll get into this a little bit. I, you know, human evolution was for the longest time considered a theory. And, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to break this down is because somehow or another over the last 20 or 30 years, it's presented as, as fact. And there hasn't been any, you know, incredible new revelations in those 20 or 30 years. Certainly, you know, new discoveries, I shouldn't say that, but there's nothing that's startling that jumped out and went, oh, this undeniably shows that uh, human evolution is is, is um, an accepted science. Uh, it's I, I kind of feel like it was thrust upon us. Um, so I wanted to look at that. And, and the reason, too, is I pointed out in part one when I was looking at what, what is the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, because as I stated there, there's uh, roughly, um, uh, I think it was 1.8 billion, uh, no, I'm sorry, 2.1 billion Christians or people who claim to uh, accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, uh, which is roughly you know 30% of the population. And then yet all of your textbooks, all of your universities, most of your mainstream fields of science claimed that that's not the case and that we've evolved and it's, you know, kind of more or less by uh, a luck of the draw, I'll call it. So I wanted to look at, at this now that, you know, uh, as I said, I, I've looked at the evidence for the, for the resurrection. And I think if you have gotten a chance to listen or watch that, it's pretty compelling. And I'm, I'm fairly confident that there's information out there that you may not have considered before in the past. So but I also want to kind of break this one down too. Um, really, the implication here is: Am I just another step in the evolutionary process? Meaning, I, me, you, uh, and what happens after death? Because if we're just another step in the evolutionary process, that means nothing happens after death, and that flies in the face of not only what so many believe, but there's countless reports of people who have medically died and experienced uh, an afterlife. Uh, but yet evolution says no. Uh, and I would say that all, all virtually every religion out there, not just, you know, uh, Christianity, will will talk about a life after death, uh, an, an eternal destination, if you will. So, you know, this implies, am I here by chance? Is there no purpose in life? So I wanted to kind of, uh, you know, unlock this a little bit. So, uh, before I forget, if you don't mind, if you're watching this on social media, some different podcast programs, um, whatever the platforms are, whatever the apps are, uh, if you could hit the like or the subscribe button. And I would love if you wouldn't mind uh, just taking a jaunt over to the RussickOutlook.com and sign up for our emails. Uh, and and the e we don't do anything with the addresses. It's just to kind of keep you updated on subjects that may be coming up or new presentations. And, and also, if there's questions that you have, there's, you know, a way for you to email me. Um, and if I don't have the answer, I'll, I'll, I'll look it up and, and, you know, I'll see, I'll do the research. And also, if there are compelling topics that you would like to be uh, unearthed, if you will, uh, I'm, 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 I'm all for it. So uh, my, my goal here is to get to the truth of the variety of subjects that we may look at and... Um, I, I, I don't mind, as I've said earlier, you know, I've got a certain core belief system based on my research, but if somebody can show me something else and somebody can show me differently and, you know, there's, there's facts to substantiate it, there's evidence there, 
I, I think is wonderful uh, because ultimately truth is truth. Uh, th- there is no gray area. So with that in mind, so here goes. Uh, the first question, you know, I wanted to post that out there, is, is especially if you're watching this on video, how did I get here? Every person on earth, I mean every person, inevitably asks themselves several particular per- questions. They may come about at various stages of life, um, and they're often repeated uh, due to the need to readjust, or maybe they are going to change their conclusions based upon new information that's coming in. And perhaps what we'll do here is maybe we'll be able to look at some new information that you may have not considered or were aware of. But the questions that you and billions of others, not only the people that are here on earth today, but through the centuries that have asked themselves, they're consistent with one another. This symmetry is not impugned by a geographical origin, a cultural diversity, or even education. does not matter what your background is, what your status is. They all represent an inherent desire to understand and know the real meaning of this truth. And it's, who am I? Where did I come from? How did I get here? What am I here for? Who put me here? Does God exist? If so, who is God? Does God have a plan for me? What is that plan? What happens after I die? So, you know, again, everybody asks these, themselves these questions at some point in their life. Um, you know, maybe not phrased exactly the way I'm putting it, but pretty much right there. Everybody kind of wants to know, well, you know, what am I here for? What's, what am I going to do? And, and, and so much so that, you know, they'll, they'll set their course in, in life and, and they're determined to search this out, what their interests are. They'll maybe take some different uh, examinations or evaluations or psych profiles, uh, because they want to get down to who that inner person is. Because we're all different, we're all unique, and we all have so much to offer the world um, that it s- stands to reason that you want to bring the best out in yourself or at least hopefully contribute the most to uh, your family, your surroundings, your job, your uh, your social um, uh, groups, your friends, your family, um, your work environment. There's so many areas of influence that that we can have. So right away, um, I'm I'm, kind of questioning evolution right off the bat because I know that so many people are asking this question, and that's not what evolution states. So I want to look at what are the origins of the universe and then ultimately what are the origins of life because I mean, everybody listening to this or watching this knows that they're familiar with the Big Bang and that, you know, pretty much this big explosion happened. And then from that, uh, life began as we know it, you know, over the course of billions of years and and certain uh, stages of different forms of evolution that we'll get into and we'll look at. Um, But I wanted to just kind of break it down. I'm not going to get into... Um, you know, too much technicality because, uh, you know, we, we can go down rabbit holes for, for hours and, and I don't want to do that. So let's, let's keep it simple. Um, I, I think what's the expression, kiss, keep, keep it simple, stupid, uh, not implying that anybody's here stupid, but keep it simple. I think uh, there's a lot of wisdom in that. So uh, um, if, if you're looking at this on video with me, it says on the left-hand side, according to today's scientific and university education accepted standards, the universe was created approximately 20 billion years ago, give or take a few billion years. Now, that's that alone is a pretty lofty statement, give or take a few billion years. Um, I know that when I was growing up, and I'm going to date myself, you know, we were talking about hundreds of millions of years, and then it somehow became a billion, two billion, four billion, five billion, ten billion, and now, you know, most of the books will look at close to 20 billion years, and maybe even a little bit more. Um, the entire universe 
came from an initial speck of infinite density known as singularity, which appeared from nowhere. This is the Big Bang. For no reason, only to explode suddenly. Over a period of some 10 billion years, again, give or take a few billion, this newly created space, time, matter, and energy evolved into remarkably designed and fully functional stars, galaxies, and planets, including our home on Earth. So let's exclude Earth just for a second. But again, the, you know, the important thing here is fully functional stars and planets and, and the alignment, and we'll get into that in a little bit here. Um, again, it just came from nowhere. Just, okay, we've got to accept. It's almost like they just want you to say, well, just accept the fact that everything we're going to look at starts after the Big Bang, but we're not going to look at who or what initiated the Big Bang. You're just supposed to take that blind leap of faith. And, you know, I, I'm sorry, I I have a problem with that. There was a uh, a scientific journal uh, written, uh, this was back to the 90s. I forget the gentleman's name, but... Um, you know, he said that the uh, the Big Bang the Big Bang resembles an awful lot of the Genesis account of creation, uh, and and if you look at the first uh, chapter of Genesis, then you you'll know what I'm talking about or what he was talking referring to. So again, all right, now we've got the origins of the universe, and we understand that you know this all just happened via a, a Big Bang. Um, and, and again, I'm not trying to minimize the countless uh, evolutionary processes that went into coming about with these planets and stars. Um, I'm, I am going to touch base on it, but again, I can't, you know, time does not allow for me to really break everything down. So from that, we're going to move into life. So uh, according to today's scientific and university educational accepted standards, okay, our textbooks teach that organic life sprung from non-organic matter exclusively through a natural process on a prebiotic earth. So this is important. A non-organic, meaning let's just call it rocks for now, rocks somehow formed life. Uh, the original life form then evolved into more complex life forms, through natural processes of random mutations and natural selection. In other words, random matter randomly acted on other matter for a long period of time, creating everything that we see today. And I, I, I realize I may be somewhat condescending in this, but that's really the essence of what we're being taught to just blindly accept. Um, you know, and never mind that this non-organic material created life. Let's let let let's keep it real. How do we get male and female at the same time? Uh, just it's just hard. It's just hard. But uh, let's keep going. Okay, so given this information, it naturally causes questions to arise that anybody listening to this, watching this are going to have pretty much the same questions. This is common sense. This is using uh, just your, 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 your common sense, reasonable deduction. Uh, um, how can nothing explode? Simple. Where did all the matter and the energy come from to begin with? It had to come from something. What caused its release? How did the explosion order itself? How can simplicity become complexity. Where did the chemical elements come from? Where did all the mathematical laws and physical properties come from? How do we explain the design, complexity, and fine-tuning in the galaxies, the solar systems, and the stars? So I just want to pause for a second. Um, this information is not going to be on any of the slides or the video that you're, you're watching, but just hear me out for a minute. I, I, I just kind of want to get into some of the what's called the fine-tuning of the universe, which is uh, an outline of just some of the examples of just how precise 
our our, our universe is is tuned. So, um, let me let me just read some information that I was able to to gleam. Uh, a lot of this comes from uh, a book uh, called "The Privileged Planet." Uh, and it's it's also a video. I, I, and if you can, if you're interested in this, this type of uh, information, and it, and it really goes on to the the basis of it is um, what is so unique about the planet Earth that can sustain life. Um, so you know, from that, uh, he, he goes on to and and there, there's a number of he the author goes on to explain a lot of this, but with interviews from from different scientists of different fields. Um, so he goes in this, he says, since the beginning of time, we know that all of the matter in the universe has been governed and balanced by precise laws and constants. Although there are over 30 of these laws in place, let me point out some of the more well-known for the sake of reference. For instance, there are laws of gravitational force, speed of light, electron mass, proton mass, mass density of the universe, and cosmological constants. Sure, a lot of you are familiar with these, or uh, if you don't know about them, you you heard them in science class, and you know perhaps uh, over the years you've forgotten some of the information. I know I did. I was quite a refresher for me. Um, so one of the people interviewed here was a philosopher named Robin Collins with degrees in mathematics and physics, and a lot of his. Um, information is repeated oftentimes by other scientists as well. So this is, and and, and this is just a mathematical and scientific analysis of the fine-tuning of the universe. Uh, so, so he says that it's it's the, the the universe is balanced on a razor's edge. That that's how precise this fine-tuning is. And some of the examples he offers are offers are offers are. Uh, if you did not have gravity to pull matter together, we would not have planets, stars, or any complex organisms. He goes on further to say that if we did not have strong nuclear force, there would be nothing to hold protons and neutrons together in the nucleus. Thus, we would have no atoms or chemistry. If we did not have the electromagnetic force, there would be no bonding between chemicals. There would be no light, and the list goes on and on. He states a much deeper case by stating all of these principles have to be in place together. Otherwise, they wipe out any single one of these principles and you eliminate life. So in other words, not only are are, are these principles incredibly fine-tuned, but they're dependent upon one another. So you've got 30 different laws that require the other laws to be in place in order for them to exact out their standards. That alone contradicts or flies in the face of evolution. Evolution is a step-by-step process. This is not. This is inferring that you've got all of these laws and constants out there in existence dependent upon one another. In addition to the necessity of these laws, it is the exact formulas for each one that is far more astounding to comprehend. Let me give you a few illustrations of just how precise an amount we are examining coupled with the mathematical odds. If we were able to measure the possible range for the law of gravity by spreading out a ruler from one end of the universe to the other, which is approximately 14 billion light years, and divide that ruler into one-inch increments, much like we do today, except this ruler is 14 billion light years long. And so he says the setting for the strength of gravity could have been anywhere along the ruler's path, but it just happens to be at this one specific one-inch setting in order for this to exist. If we were to move the formula just one inch in either direction, life as we know it would cease. Anything larger than a P would be crushed. So again, a ruler 14 billion light years long, and the fine-tuning and the precision in this analysis or this yeah, comparison is if you have this ruler in one-inch increments, it settles, let's just say, right in the middle of Mars. And if you move it to the left or to the right, it life as we know it just ceases to exist. That's how precise it is. He goes on to say another sampling is the cosmological constant which describes the expansion speed of space in the universe. 
If space expands too quickly, the universe will increase so fast that material objects cannot form. Therefore, we cannot get stars, planets, and galaxies. Physicists have determined that the cosmological constant is fine-tuned to one part in, now get this now, for you who remember your, your, your math, we remember going 1 to the 10th power, 1 to the 50th power, 1 to the 100th power, 1 to the 1,000th power. But the odds of this are one part to 100 million, billion, 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 billion. I almost feel like, um, oh, I forget, I forget the villain. $100 million. Um, that was a bad imitation. I'm sorry. Uh, an illustration of this formula would be to travel uh, hundreds of miles into space and throw a dart towards the Earth, hitting a bullseye measuring one trillionth of a trillionth of one inch in diameter. This in area that is less than the width of a single atom. So... You go a couple hundred miles in space, and I've got to hit a, a, a bullseye with a dart that I'm going to throw, and it's less than the size of an atom, and it's somewhere in the middle of the Earth, and that's where I've got... That's the odds. That's the example. Um, another example of undeniable and insurmountable odds is evident at the atomic level. The strong nuclear force binds atoms together. If the strength of this force were to decrease by one part... In 10,000 billion, 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 that's it. Done. The only element left in the universe would be hydrogen. Chemical life would not be possible. Remember, this, that, that's, only three, that's only three out of the 30 that I threw out there. Um, and then there's other things that happen in space that, that are just so remarkable. The, the rotational speed of the Earth the balance of gases in the Earth's atmosphere, hydrogen and oxygen, uh, the miracle of carbon, all of these things. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you one small example. Uh, uh, I had it here for a second. Um, the size of the sun and the Earth. The size of the Earth is vital to life's existence. A smaller planet would not have the gravitational pull to retain water and atmosphere essential to life. A smaller planet would produce a much thinner atmosphere that would diminish our protection from the thousands of meteors that assault our planet on a daily basis. This would also produce less protection from the sun, causing the temperature to rise and not enabling life to flourish. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Uh, distance from the Earth to the sun. If the Earth was farther away from the sun, we would experience temperatures such as 70, minus 70 degrees Fahrenheit measured on Mars and freeze. If the Earth were even as much as 5% closer to the sun, we would experience temperatures ranging from 800 to 900 degrees, such as Venus, and we would burn up. It, it goes on and on. It's just it's incredible how precise all of this is, and yet we're taught that this was just happened by circumstance. Um, some more uh, uh, more questions I'm, I'm going to pose that would come up uh, when it can, when, when it comes to life. And this is back to the video. If 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 you're following me on video, on the right hand side, how did life come from a rock? That's really what we're talking about, folks. You and I, ultimately, our great ancestors were being told came from a rock. Non-organic material became organic. How did a bird become a lizard? Not only that, we would have, before I go, go on, we would have zillions and zillions of fossils to bear this out if, if the evolutionary process, as they suggest, um, you know, was a reality, that we would be able to see this everywhere. Um, why don't we see birds become lizards today? Why are there no transitional fossils in our museums today? We don't see any of this in the museums today. Why have we never observed beneficial mutations today? A mutation is a freak occurrence. It, it, a mutate, when, you mutate, when something mutates, it, it, it forms something that is non, not only non-essential but non-functional. Uh, and we're going to get into this in a minute. Where did the information code from your DNA come from? I believe that's the next slide. Um, uh, how can we explain random developments of the human eye, the digestive tract, the brain, the heart, the lungs? 
What about our subconscious minds? And we all know about that. How did that really come about from an evolutionary process? So the list goes on and on and on. Um, I just kind of want to get close to, to wrapping this with DNA. So um, for those who don't know, I'm just going to you know kind of break this down. There is a sequential code that everybody has in their bodies that's different from one another. You all know that um, particularly in crime situations, they are able to extract DNA and able to identify somebody because it, it, it's the formation um, uh, of the different proteins, of the code in the different proteins, the, I'm sorry, the code that forms the structure of the different proteins in the cells. Um, for a biological system to operate, it needs this genetic information to build the proteins, uh, which in turn causes the cells to maintain their function. So all of our cells has this code that tells these proteins how to line up, how to function, you know, whether it's for an arm, a leg, if it's a bird or a wing or an eyeball or, you know, whatever it is, a mouth, an ear. For every cell in the body, the information is contingent on the selection and arrangements or patterns of four DNA chemicals, 20 different types of amino acids and 30,000 30, different types of proteins. We now know a full complement of human DNA has more than 3 billion DNA sequences, okay? This entire sequence is called a genome. Now, get ready for some really staggering numbers and comparisons. Our entire DNA sequence or one human genome would fill 201,000-page New York City telephone directories. Just in that human genome. That's the amount of coded information that's necessary. One complete 3 billion base human genome would take 3 gigabits of storage space. If you unwrap all of the DNA that you have in all of your cells, you could fill enough books to fill the Grand Canyon 78 times. Think about the size of the Grand Canyon uh, in the United States if if... if if you're listening to this or watching this outside of the country, look up Grand Canyon in the United States and, and you'll get an idea of just how incredibly huge this is, uh, covering, an, an, I believe, four different states. Um, but at any rate, everybody pretty much knows the size of the Grand Canyon. You can fill up the Grand Canyon 78 times with books, and all of that book information is all of the coded information that's drives your DNA sequences in your body. So where did the code come from? Where did the genetic information come from to make you different from the person next door, from your coworker, from uh, a, a family member, from a person in another side of the country? Um, if you could line up all of your DNA end to end, it would reach to the sun and back over six hundred times. This, this is just staggering information. And, and again, I'm saying that I'm, I'm kind of breaking this down in a, in a simple way because I can go down a rabbit's hole and uh, I'd be gone forever. But, you know, where did this information come from? So I'm going to kind of break this down. Evolutionary theory has seven distinct and interrelated phases set by science in the following order. This is what's being taught in, in, in the universities and in sciences today, okay? There are seven different phases of, of evolution. First, it's cosmic evolution, which is the development of space, time, matter, and energy, which came from nothing. There's stellar evolution, the development of all of the complex stars from those chaotic first elements. Next, you have chemical evolution, which is the development of all of the chemical elements from an original two. Planetary evolution, the development of planetary systems from swirling elements. Organic evolution, the development of organic life from inorganic matter. Again, we talked about it. You came from a rock. Macroevolution, the development of one kind of life 
from a totally different kind of life. The bird to the lizard or the lizard to the bird. Microevolution. This is the only one that we see today that we can observe, which is development of variations within the same kind of life. Um, I'm a big dog lover, so you know that you can get different species of dogs, and if you, people will breed them, and they'll you know bring about different species. But we see this happening in in nature, you, you, not even in a breeding contest context. So, out of all those seven phases of evolution, the only one that we can say that we see today is microevolution, and yet we're supposed to assume that those other six phases of evolution are correct. And don't question it, because if you do, you're going to be ostracized, specifically if you're perhaps a a, a scientist. Think about all of these scientists who are um, basically purporting intelligent design. They're not even going down the road of Jesus or or Buddha or Mohammed or, or, or whoever. They're just saying that there is a intelligent design there is a mechanism that put all of these things into place that it didn't and it couldn't have happened just randomly but because not all but a lot of these people man they're, they, they they go through some rough times and they can lose work and they can lose credibility for being honest for for searching for the truth and and really that's what we're supposed to be about so to sum it up the first six phases of evolution are merely, merely assumed. Uh, but is it not logical to connect the dots on all the other phases required to complete the evolutionary theory of where we came from? So again, you know, if, you, if you're ascribing to this, then one has to go with the other. I'm going to kind of, I, I want to throw some things out about science and the Bible because a lot of people who don't believe or um, speak negatively of the Bible, they'll kind of look at science as fact and that somehow or another the Bible doesn't uh, take science into account and it's non-scientific and blah, 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 blah. And I look at it this way, and this is my own personal opinion. Um, there, there is a very specific blueprint being orchestrated by the hierarchy of America's power mongers for the advancement of today's political left. The not-so-subtle attempts to undermine a Christian's intellect in the court of public opinion is a foundational design in gaining the upper hand. Much like a military battlefield, the strategy is to gain control on the top of the hills and aim down. Then fire on your enemy while they are seemingly in a defensive posture, scrambling to get on top. The hilltop, in this instance, is the moral high ground. For this encounter, target Christianity's belief system as out of touch with modern-day realities, specifically attempting to demean them as being led by an ancient and out-of-date manuscript, namely the Bible. Um, all right, I'm going to, I'm just going <laughs> to, I could just, I'm going to, I'm going to pause and be gentle. An interesting note here is that the Genesis account of creation meets scientific plausibility. Notice I say plausibility, it's plausible. From a scientific viewpoint, the Genesis account of creation provides two important factors. Number one, it states the initial conditions. Number two, it provides a frame of reference. It also provides important information to man. God had a purposeful methodology in how he put creation together. The Bible provides how creation affects man and who is the master of creation. So there's 10 steps in, in the creation process. I've outlined them here. Uh, it's, it's probably easier to go look them up if you're just listening. But um, heavenly bodies were created. One, two, let there be light. Three, let there be expanse between the waters to separate water from water. And, and I'm giving you the biblical um, notations, if you will. So that was Genesis 1.6. Genesis 1.9, let the water under the sky gather to one place, let dry ground appear, which is the formation of land and sea. And I I give you some additional notes here. Um, Number five, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, trees on the land that bear fruit with seed according according to their various kinds. The creation of vegetation, Genesis 1.11. Uh, This agrees with the light that's necessary as well as the amount of carbon dioxide that's required. Uh, 
Number six, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky that separates day from night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. Atmosphere transparency, Genesis 1.14. The sun, the moon, the stars are now become visible. The word bara means created out of nothing. It's used in Genesis 1.1 and in making man, but not in this scripture. But in day four, it would have meant as in past tense or made to appear. Number seven, creation of small sea animals and birds. Eight, the creation of land animals. Nine, the creation of man. Ten, God rested. So those are 10 steps that do fall in line uh, with science. And I'm going to give you a bit more on, on this note. So uh, I, I have a, a, a little, and I actually wrote an article on the Russick Outlook about this, if you wanted to dig a little bit deeper with me. Uh, what, what, and, I, and I call this Christians are stupid, the anti-science strategy. And, I, you know, I see this today. Um, I'm, I'm an American living in New York in 2020, and I... And it, particularly with COVID-19. And, you know, I see this incredible stupidity that comes out from people saying that the administration doesn't believe in science. Uh, That's, that's their, their attack. And they're, they're just trying to bring them down yet. They'll roll out doctors and scientists on a daily basis for these press conferences and whatnot. It's just, and sadly people just kind of fall in line and go, Oh yeah, yeah, they don't believe in science. Uh, it's it's it just drives me crazy, and this has nothing to do with uh, Christianity or evolution. I'm sorry, but but the primary objections to these old and new testaments that that the Christians don't believe in science is is uh, is in relation to science is classroom conclusions are predetermined to be factual. In other words, if you have a a conclusion that rocks the foundation of a university textbook, then it's thrown out, regardless of how much information you have behind it. Any challenge to the status quo outcome of 21st century university textbooks in biology, astrophysics, geology, human anatomy, paleontology, chemistry, it's considered preposterous, or better yet, simply illogical. And here I have a picture of our friend Mr. Spock as as the logical one. Today, there are groups or individuals attempting to challenge the relevance of the Bible, often cite their objections with claims that the Bible ignores science. No one I know, no one I know, considers the Word of God as an educational primer in any field of scientific development. It's, it's ridiculous. I've never heard that. But yet, because the Bible may not say a certain word or, or words, then it ignores science. Science means knowledge. True science always agrees with the observable evidence. Scientific research continues to unfold the wonders and the mysteries in our universe. Perhaps not so coincidentally, there is one collection of books that anticipated many of these scientific discoveries thousands of years before we had the technology and the resources to to prove these theories. Go ahead. Take a guess which one. So I gave on here on this on this video slide 21 examples that um, bears out exactly what science says today, not as a scientific primer, but it just it proves this out. But often cases written thousands of years before mankind could have even substantiated these claims. So how would that how how is that possible? So, for instance, uh, I'm just going to cite a bunch, and, and again, the scriptures are here. They're referenced. The earth f- f- uh, free floats in space, Job 26.7. Creation is made of particles that are indiscernible to our eyes, Hebrews 11.3. The ark specifies the perfect dimension for a stable water vessel, Genesis 6.15. This has even been proven in the United States Naval Academies. Uh, the darkness of the ocean floor contains springs, Job 38.16. How did we get to the ocean floor? To you need machines and submarines and and boats to sustain that atmospheric pressure to get down there. But yet, thousands of years ago, uh, Job wrote about this: that there are mountains on the bottom of the ocean floor. Jonah two five through six. Leaves of trees are medicine. We know that today. That herbs, uh, various herbs and things that you'll find in nature, uh, can combat sickness and disease. Black holes and dark matter are anticipated. Light can be divided. Scripture assumes a revolving earth. 
Hmm, how do we know that? Light travels in a path. Hmm, warns against eating birds of prey. The sun goes in a circuit. Circumcision is, is ideal on the eighth day. Think about that. Medical science will tell you today that the perfect day for a boy to be circumcised is on the eighth day uh, of his life. And yet that's exactly what was, what, what was said in Genesis, Leviticus, and in Luke. The universe is expanding. DNA is anticipated. DNA is anticipated. Laughter promotes physical healing. Consuming blood is dangerous to your health. He describes the dinosaurs. And that's another one. People just, you know, well, the, you know, the Bible doesn't talk about dinosaurs. They talk about a beast with a tree with a tail the size of a cedar tree. Uh, that sounds like a dinosaur to me. And you know, side note: the word dinosaur didn't come about until the 18th or 19th century. Uh, atomic fission is anticipated. The universe had a beginning. The second law of thermodynamics are, are, is explained, and and you can go on and on. I just I, I gave you these to just kind of give a little bit more validity than what's kind of just thrown out haphazardly. Okay, so now I'd like to start to wind this down, if you will. Um, so if, if the biblical account of creation is true, that means that God is available to us today. As a result, some will spend eternity in paradise called heaven in the presence of a loving creator, and some will spend eternity in the absence of God in a horror called hell. Therefore, it is my opinion that the truth of these consequences is monumental. It would be utter foolishness to not investigate the evidence. There is an obvious foundational dilemma when you introduce the Judeo-Christian scriptures in the same room to Charles Darwin and the origin of the species. They just, they, they, they don't, they don't mesh at all. Not only is the Genesis account of creation juxtaposed to 20 billion years of evolution, but the very foundation of the entire Bible becomes moot if evolution is in fact accurate. The foundation of evolution is atheism. Remember, every single development in terms of time, space, and matter in the universe took place by random chance. Then once everything lined up in perfect balance for the habitability of, of life to start on Earth, the next mutation process would begin that led from that first living cell to myself making today's presentation on my computer. Again, in essence, my ancestors are rocks. If we evolved from animals, it would apply that no God purposely created us. If evolution is true and there is no God, then there is no God to help us with our daily problems. In addition, there is no hope for life after death. I personally have a fundamental problem with this when you compare what we observe in life, what, what I would say as we observe sociologically. Evolution states that there is no purpose or design, yet we as a people are at times are obsessed with searching and discovering what is our purpose? Why am I here? The, or you'll consider all of the self-help books and fulfilling your destiny. Uh, you know, for, for a species or uh, a, a group of, of, of life, lively organisms to just happen randomly but yet are obsessed with their purpose, it doesn't make sense. So much so that most people believe finding their purpose is directly linked to an eternal destination of the spirit that is followed by their conclusion of their physical life. Uh, and again, I'm going to say somewhere around 85%, maybe more, believe in God in one form or another. Uh, you know, the various religions from Christianity to, to uh, Islam, to Judaism, to Hinduism, to Buddhism, to the traditional folk religions and, and so forth and so on. And while I readily admit that if God could create the universe, he is certainly capable of guiding the evolutionary process. This is, in fact, what some churches and temples and synagogues are currently supporting, as well as some agnostics. I recognize that many people, particularly a fair number of Christians, believe that the Bible is fabricated stories or it's too old, it's too ancient, it's not relevant today, and that it was just written to teach us everyday life lessons. Um, 
you know, I didn't get into the the entire account of the Bible, but I, I believe I covered a fair amount in, in in looking at Jesus. And I'm sorry, there is just a mountain of evidence to suggest that uh, these stories are are in fact accurate, and 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 it's really it's a it's a recording of of history when when you're talking about the specific characters and events. Um, but regardless, this does not change the direct contradiction to the accounts of the Bible. From Adam to Abraham to Jesus to present-day man, God has revealed his plan as the only way to reconcile and unite mankind into an everlasting relationship that is constructed purely out of his love for all of eternity. I hope you don't mind. I'd like to just take a few minutes and share with you um, my relationship with Jesus. And as I said all along, I am a Christian. I don't, um, I don't apologize for that at all. Um, but I also recognize the importance of getting to the heart of these questions. And I, I firmly believe that regardless of where you stand, whether you're an atheist, an agnostic, a Christian, or just don't know where, what you believe— your questions are valid, and everything that uh, you have concerns about, uh, they should have answers, and, and you should be able to find them. So, you know, that's part of what I wanted to do. I wanted to know what is the truth? What, is, you know, what supports the validity of, of Christ? What supports um, the validity of evolution? And, and when I look at the two, I mean, it's blatantly obvious. But there's more to it than that, um, and, and that's what I, I hope you don't mind. I'd just like to take a couple of minutes to share with you um, how I came in my relationship with Jesus, how I came to know Jesus on a personal level. Um, I was raised in a wonderful uh, home. I had a loving family and parents and brothers and uh, raised in a great middle-class town in, in Bergen County, New Jersey, called Hasbrook Heights, um, wonderful friends. Uh, great school system. Uh, I was uh, raised as a Catholic, went to Catholic grammar school. I was an altar boy, and I went to Catholic high school. So, um, and, and, and I've got a, bit, a little bit of an Irish in me. So I was a little bit of an Irish Catholic boy, if you know what I mean. But I digress. Uh, so I, I, I'm very familiar with the tenets of the faith, if you will. And, um, you know, I, from a very early age, I, I was kind of uh, a little bit struck because I thought that there was more to uh, what God may be or what he has to offer than what I was being taught. Um, from a very early age, I would talk to the priests and ask them, why do I have to go to you to confess my sins? Why can't I go to Jesus himself? And to, to this day, I never, I never heard a valid answer. Um, so after, uh, let me move fast forward. So after I graduated high school, you know, went to college and uh, went to college up in Boston and kind of a free spirit, if you will. Always believed in God in the back of my head, but <clears throat> kind of put him on the side if, uh, as more of an afterthought, I, I, I would say. I was more interested in, you know, college life and um, just, you know, just enjoying myself. So <clears throat> once I came home from college, I, I, I don't know, I just started this journey of <clears throat> wanting to know more. Um, I found myself going to different churches, different denominations. I would go to uh, a Pentecostal church. I would go to a Baptist church, uh, an Assembly of God, uh, a Protestant, an Episcopalian. I wanted to know more about <clears throat> what these churches were offering because essentially the foundation was the same. The, you know, they, 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 they taught out of the Bible. They preached the Bible. They preached the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ as, as personal Savior. And as I did that, uh, I, I would also, and um, I'll get to this in, in a little bit, I would listen to um, the evangelists on the streets of New York City. I, I worked in New York City, and as I traveled from New Jersey, I'd go through the Port Authority, and, and I'd kind of sit in the background, not you know, or stand in the background, uh, listening to what these evangelists might have to say. And you know, and I know a lot of them. You know, people would say, "Oh, they're kooky," and you know, they're they're preaching uh, fire and brimstone, and, and not all of them. But uh, so this went on for I would say roughly ten years or so through most of my twenties. 
I, I would go to these churches. I didn't want anybody to really know me. I'd sit in the back by the back door, so listen to the sermon, get get out as quickly as I could. But I I would describe myself as being drawn by the Lord um, to to basically answer my questions, answer my inner desire to get to know him better. So eventually um, I, I wound up in a church in Edison, New Jersey, long story short, um, at the end of the service, the pastor gave a, a, a call uh, for those who would to like to publicly accept Jesus into their life. And, and <clears throat> I've been hearing the same message or the same call for uh, a Savior um, for 10 years now in, in all the churches. And, and I just, I was ready. I, I was ready to surrender. I admitted that I was a sinner, that I messed up, that I there were things in my life that were wrong and that only... Uh, I felt that only Jesus could help me, and and I surrendered to him. Um, And there is strength in surrender. Surrendering is not the end of the world. It is the beginning, Uh, and and I say this with full conviction. Uh, It it is a sense of relief that you're not taking everything on yourself, that you get to share this with somebody else. You get to share this with the one who made you. So... uh, I did this, I accepted Jesus, and at the end of the service, there was a group of us that did the same. We were escorted uh, out of the sanctuary into a room, you know, right in the hallway, and basically they would give you a Bible and explain to you, you know, you know, what happened, do you have any questions, would you like prayer for anything? And <clears throat> there was a gentleman there uh, who was the custodian, he and I became good friends, and he, you know, he kind of walked me through the process, but... You know, just at the very end, he said to me, looked at me, and he says, would you like to receive the Holy Spirit? And I knew about the Holy Spirit because I was a good Catholic boy and I had my confirmation, but didn't really know what exactly he meant by it. But I said, sure. So he laid his hand on me and instantly I, I, I felt this wave of energy just travel through me from the tip of my head to to the tip of my toes. And the way I describe it is if you can imagine a a construction worker in the street with a giant jackhammer trying to drill through the pavement and the roads and how you'd watch, you know, that vibration of the man, that's kind of how I felt what was going on in the inside of my body, that this this wave of energy for, I'm going to say for a minute, two minutes, whatever it was, I don't know, um, and, and and it just this presence, this supernatural presence, just flowed through my body, and um, not to you know freak anybody out, but I'm just going to say it because I believe it needs to be said. Uh, I I began speaking in tongues, and and this was something that I was not familiar with, and it just came on me. I had no uh, idea what was going to happen, and kind of you know all of a sudden I'm listening to myself and I'm speaking in you know all all, all these words that I've never heard myself speak. Um, and I had no control over it. It just happened. It was just, it was just a gift of the Holy Spirit. And I guess the reason I want to mention this is, you know, don't be afraid of this. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, one of the main reasons, if not the main reason that Jesus went to the cross is he wants a personal relationship with you. He wants an encounter with you. And this is a language that if you, if you, you know, look this up and study this out, uh, this is something that didn't just die with with uh, Pentecost. As a matter of fact, for all my Catholic friends, um, you know, it says that they were all in the upper room, and this included, if you can look this up in Acts chapter two, I believe, chapter one and two, and um, there was 120 of them, and it was all the apostles and Mary and other women. So. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and it said, and the Holy Spirit came on them like uh, uh, tongues of fire, and they all began to speak in other, uh, other languages and utterances of the Holy Spirit, which means that Mary, mother of God, spoke in tongues. And I don't say that to be blasphemous or offensive to any Catholics. It's it's a beautiful thing. It's just the truth. So I just want to bring this out. Don't shy away from it. And if you don't speak in tongues, that's fine too. Um, but if you want to, it's a free gift. Uh, and, and I'm not going to get into it right now, but I just felt like I needed to mention that because um, it's it's something that should not be shied away from. And, and, and I think a lot of people in the church are afraid to talk about it. And fortunately, there's a, there's a lot that, you know, are not. So I'll just leave it at that. So anyway, I was going through a rough time in my life, very, very rough. I was going through some difficult times when this all happened. And so I found myself just getting closer and going to church as often as I could and just 
I didn't know anybody, but I was just trying to hear from God. And I was praying to God one night, and I went to a special service that they had on a Friday night. And in the middle of the service, the uh, praise and worship leader stops, and he says, listen, there's somebody here. And he describes my exact situation. I don't want to get into it here, but he describes exactly what I'm going through. And he said, I just feel like the Lord is saying to you that you need to trust him. And boy, this was just an an enormous weight that came off of me because I really felt connected. So typical guy that I am. And uh, I guess I was a little bit more pessimistic by the following morning because I had convinced myself that was not for me. That word did not come from me. God was not speaking to me. God doesn't speak to me. God only speaks to other people in the Bible, and he doesn't speak to me. Um, So I just kind of, you know, blew it off. That was Saturday. And then Sunday, typical Sunday morning, you go to church. And again, I didn't really know anybody. This was just during my first couple of months. And I'm sitting in service, and I go through the service. And at the very end of the service, uh, an elderly woman is at the end of the uh, row where I'm sitting, and, you know, she kind of shuffles her feet. She says, son, son, can you come here for a second? And I said, sure. She grabs me by the hand. And she says, son, I don't know what you're going through, but I just feel like the Lord told me that you need to trust him. So right there, I just kind of broke down because I realized God was speaking to me. He knew my situation, didn't give me an answer, didn't say just, you know, do this or do that, and and I'll take care of this and that. He just said, trust me. So that was, you know, it's a small thing, but it was a pivotal moment for me in my walk with the Lord, because as wonderful as my life is and and wonderful as walking with the Lord is, it's not always a bed of roses. And, And I, like everybody else, had a lot of difficult times. I've had challenging times. I've had uh, what the, you know, the word of God says that there will be trials and tribulations, but fear not, I have overcome the world. And if I'm in you, then you have overcome that situation or situations. So, you know, Jesus readily admits that, you know, you're going to go through some fires. And I did, I, I, I went through some difficulties and, um, you know, had some encounters where, you know, people just, you know, they, they let you down. Let's, I'll, I'll put it that way. And uh, so I, you know, I was hurt and I'm sure I hurt other people too. So, um, but I, I just say all this because God brought me through it. You know, the one thing that I did was smart enough to do is never run away from the Lord, but run to him. So even with, when I'm screwing up, I know enough that I need to go to the Lord, confess my sins and he's faithful. And cause he already knows it's just, you know, waiting on you. And for those who don't know, uh, you know, the Word of God says, if you don't know Him, the Word of God says, I stand at the door and knock a, at, on the door of your heart. So the Lord is is there. It's just a matter of just picture yourself in your home, opening the door and letting Him in. And just ask Him, Jesus, can you come into my heart? Uh, he knows all of your situations, but if we have our own free will and we have the ability to accept Him or reject Him. And again, you know, I talked about earlier that there would be consequences to that. And I don't know that that's necessarily the reason that I, that I came to the Lord, but it, 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 it's certainly comforting knowing where I'm going, that I'm not afraid of death today. I know where I'm going. Um, but I want to live my life to the fullest today and do everything I can uh, in this life to accomplish what the Lord has put me here for. Um, I just want to share uh, uh, one other thing that's kind of important to me, and and this was within, again, the first couple of months. I talked briefly about how I would listen to these street evangelists, and this was, again, within the first couple of months of my getting saved, and as I said, I I lived in New Jersey but worked in New York City, and I'm going through the Port Authority, and I'm on the second floor, and I'm looking down at the kind of the main concourse, main level. There's a big, wide-open area, and there's this one guy that I've seen for a couple of years, and I listen to faithfully, and this guy blessed me. I mean, I was encouraged when I would listen to him on the street, and I'm watching him, and he's preaching his heart out, and nobody's listening. Everybody's just hustle and bustle. You know, it's probably four thirty-five o'clock, rush hour. Everybody's just bristling by him. But he's, he's, he's out there preaching the Word of God. And this was an elderly gentleman, tattered clothes, didn't have much money. But this is, this is who he was. And I found myself looking down and, 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 and kind of, I guess, quietly praying and, and asking the Lord to bless him because I said, you know, this guy has really been important to me. And, and all of a sudden, I just feel this prompting of, 
of Holy Spirit to say, I want you to go down there and tell him, you know, what what you feel about him and how he impacted your life. And, you know, typical me, I say, you know, what are you, crazy? I'm, uh, you know, here I am talking to God. I'm saying, what are you, crazy? I'm, I, I don't know this guy. I don't know who he is. He's never, he doesn't know me. I'm not going to walk up to him like that. And par for the course, you know, the Lord won the battle. And I went down and I said to the the gentleman, I said, listen, I hope you don't mind. And I started to just explain to him the influence that he had on me and how powerful his words were over the years and that I had recently finally accepted Jesus into my life. And I just, I just wanted to say thank you. And I, I tell you, I get emotional to think about it. I, I see this as clearly today as I did Yes, you know, this was 30 years ago. And the biggest, broadest smile, just ear to ear. And and he grabs me and he says, son, you don't know how happy I am. I was just telling the Lord how sorry I was because I wasn't able to lead anybody to the Lord this week. And you just really lifted my spirits. And he grabs my arm and kind of a you know, picture, a, a, not a handshake, but a, a grabs me by the by the forearm, by the elbow, and I grab him by the elbow. And I tell you, to tell you the truth, it was like the hottest fire you could ever imagine, just burned up both of our arms and then filled into our bodies. Like the, the heat was overwhelming, like fire. But it wasn't a burn burn. It was, you know, you, you, something supernatural was happening. And he just looks at me and says, son, you feel that? I said, oh, yeah, I feel that to you. And he just smiled. And he said, that's the Holy Ghost. And I said, yeah, that is the Holy Ghost. Uh, and, and it's something that happened so long ago, but I'll never forget it. And then here, I, you know, I can say that the Lord was teaching me to trust the voice that he speaks into me. But he also loved this gentleman so much that he wanted, he knew this gentleman was hurting. He knew uh, he needed a word that would lift him up, and God is faithful, and and He gave him what he needed. Uh, you know, he and He let him know too that although he may not see things, that you know His words were impacting eternity. Uh, so I, I and I can go on and on, and I have other examples, and I have maybe some other point. I'll I'll, I'll explain to you how uh, God miraculously medically healed me supernaturally, uh, of, of something that the doctors were just completely stumped by. Um, and, and, and it can only be explained by God. Um, and, and there's so many things. And so, like I said, if you're thinking about it, if you're not sure, uh, you can email me, uh, um, if you have any questions or, you know, reach out to your local church, wherever you may be. And, but the, it, you know, you don't even need a church. You just need to just ask the Lord uh, in the comfort of your home if you don't know him, because he's knocking on the door of your heart, I promise you. And I guarantee you, it will be the greatest decision of your life. You will love the journey. And like I said, there's good times, there's bad times, but the good times far outweigh the bad times. And even through the bad times, as he takes you through it, you come out good on the end. So I, I, I just felt like I had to share this. I hope you don't mind. And uh, if, if this helps somebody, great. And if not, I, you know, I'll just preach to myself uh, because God is good all the time. I'd like to thank you for listening and taking the time here. Uh, this, is, this has been wonderful, and, and uh, I, I really appreciate your time. I don't take this for granted. So let me just say, in conclusion, truth is definitive. I hope I've gotten, if anything, I've gotten that through. It can, it should be qualified, and most importantly, it must be sought. Spin doctoring truth is being practiced by all sides of religious, scientific, educational, political spectrums in order to promote subjective conclusions rather than objective analysis. But just like a court of law, Truth at times may need to be tried and argued for, but in the end, it is absolute. I'll leave you with this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John fourteen six. So to you, the juror, I say, what say you? Is Jesus the Christ? Is he Lord of your life? Is he your personal Savior? And if not, would you like to ask him in? 
And if you're still not convinced, seek more information. Ask others. I'm not saying that you have to arrive at this same conclusion as me. Uh, I I know that that everybody's not going to feel the same, but I'm just hoping that some of this information paused you to think a little bit more, that there's more information that's out there if you you take a look. So I'd like to thank you very much for your time. Uh, This has been... um, it's been great. I, I, I've enjoyed this. So let me just say that if you have any questions, please email me at russicoutlook at gmail.com for any questions or comments. Again, if you're watching, listening to this on social media or any of the various uh, apps or platforms, please hit the like or subscribe button. Um, and jog, uh, jog. Don't jog. Run. Um Run on over to the website, russicoutlook.com, and sign up on our email list if you can. Uh, you know, we just want to keep you, uh, we, I, I just want to keep you updated on, you know, if a new uh, article comes out. But also, if you have questions or comments or if there's something that you would like to see researched and, and explored, uh, I, I, I'm all ears. I, I, you know, I love doing this. I love uh, unfolding information that's out there regardless of where the journey takes me because ultimately all I'm looking for is what is the truth. So again, thank you for your time. God bless you and uh, hope to see you again on one of these other podcasts. Take care. Bye-bye.